0: There are a lot of ridiculous things which go on in the world, and we must realize that everything around us really is spiritual warfare. We look at where we're at in America and the rest of Western civilization, and we've got to wake up to the fact that there are really two competing belief systems out there. There's the Christian belief system, which has been the founding of a lot of things in America and where we're at, where we understand that we live in fallen creation and we need to have boundaries around ourselves. We need to be fortified so that we can walk through fallen creation. Because here, while we're on this side of Eden, we're not going to be in utopia. We're waiting for Christ to come and judge the living and the dead. And while we're in that waiting period, we are commissioned to go out and spread the gospel. This is the traditional Christian worldview that understands we live on this side of Eden, and there are going to be a lot of ridiculous things that happen out there, but the New Testament reminds us time and time again that we must have endurance and perseverance as we walk through this age. That being said, we are up against a, a lot of people and a worldview that has emerged out here recently, though it's not new, it's old oldest man is, that really wants to revolt against that, where you've got people who are revolutionaries who want to create a utopia. And I mean, this comes in, in effects in the church as well, but you have people who want to have this utopian worldview where we can reach this place where there's no harm done anywhere and everything is peaceful. And of course, this is idolatrous and it's not possible. So you look at our world, and these are the two competing worldviews which are going on in everything around you. And today, we're going to have a conversation about finger guns and spiritual warfare. And if you've ever had somebody do something ridiculous to you, you've you've experienced things, you know, bad relationships with girlfriends, if you're... A lady, you've had bad relationships with boyfriends, husbands and wife things split up. You've had bad things happen with your friends and your coworkers. All of that can actually be explained by one of the stories we're going to read today. that's basically a re-illumination of the fall. Because while there are many mysteries about the world around us, and many mysteries when it comes to divine matters and theology, we actually know that there are other areas where there is certainty. And when it comes to the fallenness of The sin nature, the fallenness of our, our bodies and where we're at in fallen creation, we actually have some definitive explanation for why a lot of the miserable things that we experience in life are that miserable. And we're going to be looking at that biblically today, but before we get into any of those things, we're going to have a opening story about a Down syndrome elementary school age girl who had the cops called on her for a really ridiculous reason. So welcome to Kingdom of the Lagos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. Here, I'm your host, Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there is one other with me here in our studio.
1: Pastor Anthony Alegria. I almost
0: slipped up and called it Cord Purgatory. But we're not in Cord Purgatory anymore, are we, Anthony?
1: Nope. This place is uh, it's pretty nice. significantly yeah. more organized. It
0: is more organized because that's what God wants of us. He wants us to go from chaos to order. So today we're going to open up by talking about a situation which happened recently in the state of Pennsylvania. And what happened is there was an elementary school-age girl that has Down syndrome, and she's actually a kindergartner, if I'm not mistaken, and she pointed a finger gun at her teacher, and the teacher decided this was something which merited calling the cops. She goes to the administrators at the school and says, we've got to call the cops on this. And the administrators are like, yeah, we've got to call the cops. The cops show up and they say, this is not a serious threat. And even the teacher... And the school administrator said, yeah, there's not a serious threat here, but protocol means we've got to call the cops because, you know, gun bad. And when the school board got involved in this, they looked at the situation and they said, no, the cops should not have been called because there was no clear threat going on here. Um, And even the administrator and those people in that school, they said, yeah, there was no clear threat, but we thought we had to call the cops on a kindergarten girl with Down syndrome because she made a finger gun. They thought we had to do that anyway. And so you might look at that and think that that's just a case of people overreacting. And look, even if you take away the fact that she has Down syndrome, you take away the fact that she's in elementary school, you take away anything. If somebody points a finger and makes a finger gun and it's clear that this is not in a threatening way, this does not merit the police. And I know that we live in a day and age where everything's got to be this nice you know, you've got to have this nice kind of Midwestern accent that you use on the news at night. But you know what? We need to stand up and say no to some of this stuff because this is ridiculous. And this is indicative of spiritual warfare. And the reason why it is indicative of spiritual warfare is because it is a belief system that people have espoused that causes them to behave in such a way that is so irrational that says a kindergartner, this young girl, She made a finger gun, and it's clear that it wasn't threatening, but i got to call the police anyway. That is a belief system that is causing people to do that. That's a worldview problem. And people who have espoused this whole idea that we can step into utopia, they say, well, you know, there can be no guns. There can be no finger guns in utopia, so we've got to crack down on this, even though it's... um, Kids being kids. And it's really, really sad. We need to ask the church stand up and say no to this stuff because it is a belief system. We've got to get people back to the truth of fallen creation where we are realistic about the world around us. Anthony.
1: Well, talk about some uh, letter of the law religious behavior. Um, excuse me if I, my voice is a little raspy. I'm a little sick. But that is some extremely letter of the law religious behavior. Yep. Reasonably, everyone knows there's no threat there. There's nothing the cops can possibly ever do to solve that awful situation, the terrible, wild well, I mean, thing of finger gun. And uh, yeah. it's completely like out of proportion. There's nothing that that solution is going to be able to actually solve. And it's only because it's part of the so-called protocol and other sorts of things which are connected with their worldview that anything associated – this symbol, whatever else associated with guns, is going to be instantaneously of the worst type of Satan for them. It yeah. is the greatest of evils and has to be handled according to the law. has to be handled rightly and... Uh, irrational. Sort of it, it, it is it downright makes, irrational. Yeah, it makes
0: you behave irrational. So one of the things about this, and Anthony's right, this is an over-legalistic examination of things. And it's because this worldview that we have of people... Who, who want to step into utopia, again, the two worldviews I'm talking about is kind of Christianity that's real a realism within Christianity that says, we're honest about the fact we're in fallen creation. And then the opposing worldview, which is trying to create a revolution in our, not in our nation, but really our whole world, and say, we can step into utopia. They believe that you can you can get a place which God has told us that you can't get, and you're an idolater if you think you can get there. Um, so I just... We're going to use some different scripture, and I want us to frame around this whole conversation about the spiritual warfare which is going on, because if we want to turn things around in our nation, it is going to come from revival, specifically Christian revival, where people are turning their hearts and minds to the gospel of Christ Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit to enter into their lives and transform them and bring them back to the men and women that God has called us to be. So today we're going to get into some different scriptures, and we're going to look at the fall. But we're not actually going to be going to Genesis to look at the fall. We're going to be going to the Gospel of Matthew, but it is the, it's the same story. And whenever you look in your life, you say, why, didn't, why did I have this bad thing that had to go to court? Why did I have this in life? It can all be explained by this simple story that we're going to look at. Um, Anthony, would you like to read this scripture for us out of Matthew chapter 22?
1: Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Once more... One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets, and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet." Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there, who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without wearing a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his attendants, Bind him, hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen.
0: This is the story of the fall. Just as you might see John chapter 1 verse 1 being a reillumination of Genesis and that moment of creation, this text in Matthew chapter 22 is a reillumination of the fall. This is the story of God's servants, his chosen creatures that were created in his image. God prepared something wonderful for us. And he provided all the work, just like this king in this parable. He made all the fine arrangements. He had all the details together. And all we had to do was show up as he requested. But we did not because we could not be bothered to care. So in that situation in Pennsylvania where you see the teacher um, and the administrator saying, yeah, we've got to call the cops. They are like the person in this story who is the man who shows up at the banquet, but not on the right terms. You see, if you read that story carefully, the king sends out his slaves. He says, anybody can come. The good, the bad, no requirements. Just come. If you will come and accept my terms, you can come. Well, the thing is, is this man, he says, you know what? I want to go, but I don't want to go on the king's terms. You know, he's been super generous to me, but I'm not going to get there that way. I want to get to that feast by my way. And what you see in this school system is they have some people working there where their decision is, we want to get to that feast. We want to get to the utopia. But we don't want to go through the reason, the rules, the boundaries, You know, the, the rational transformation of the mind which God brings to his people. We don't want to go there through the wisdom that has been handed through us through history. Instead, we've got this new revolutionary worldview where we can reach utopia by cracking down on elementary school kids making finger guns. That will get us to utopia. They think they're gonna get there by not going the route that God has laid out for us. And in the truth, they're gonna be left speechless because they look like fools in the end because that's not how you get to the wedding feast. That's not how they get to that utopia where there is no violence. That That's not going to get you there. Anthony.
1: Tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like downright fascism. What would you say? <sighs> it. No. It,
0: I'm, I'm left speechless over here. Um, but picking back up on all this, this is the same story as Adam and Eve. It's the same message in Acts chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, where Peter comes and he says, you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. You know, that, that, that message there where people that were given a great gift and they said, no, nah, I don't want it. I'll kill the author of, author of life. That's what's going on in this wedding feast. The people, they're not interested in coming. The slaves, the servants go out. They have to beg people to come. And even the one man says, oh, yeah, I guess I'll go. But I'm not going on your terms. I know you'll give me a wedding robe if I come on your terms. I don't want that. I'm going to show up how I want to. That is the story of humanity. And furthermore, if we go to Luke chapter 23, verse 34, where Jesus is hung on a cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. We want to imagine that these accounts are about someone else. Some other person who is uniquely wicked in their heart. However, such is not so. This is the story of the fall and it is the story that defines each and every one of us. This is the same thing as the story of Adam and Eve. It's this idea where the servants of God were given something great and wonderful and they didn't want it. They wanted to get to Wherever their goal was, their dream of utopia, whether it be there in the Garden of Eden, whether it be you know, a world without violence, a world where children don't act bad, because that's something that's realistic on this side of, of Eden, a world where children don't do mischievous things that are just kids being kids, um, they think they can get there. That's the, that's the story of the fall. So whenever you, you look in your own life, you, you ask yourself questions, you know, why did my last relationship go badly? As a pastor, I've counseled a lot of different situations, and I can look at them and definitively say there are clear markers throughout relationships, whether they be like boyfriend, girlfriend, whether they be something married, whether it be coworkers, whether it be people who are just showing up to church together, friends. When you look at the red flags and things that have caused problems, you can see that early on in relationships between people, there are indicators where somebody sits down and says, you know what? Instead of me doing what's righteous, I'm just going to do something else. I'm just going to do, do whatever I want. And that's where I want us to take a look at a particular word in that Matthew text. The Matthew text describes people invited to a party who cannot be bothered to attend. Now, when we read that in verse 3, it doesn't give a lot of you know emotional connotation there in English. It just simply says they would not come. They're in the end of verse um, 3. But the truth is, if you go back to the original Greek, the word describing how they turned down such an invitation is ethylon, which means to wish or desire. What the text says there in verse three, it says, they got an invitation and they wished not to go. They desired something else. And this is a level of desirable disregard that we must acknowledge where they willingly say, I just don't want to. And that's the story of our, that's why our relationships come apart. We can look at, at people and say, You know, we wanted to get together, but we really didn't want to obey God's laws on how men and women should operate with one another. And, you know, God told us to be good financial stewards. We really didn't want to do that. Um, God gave us all these rules about how we should, you know, structure our lives, how we shouldn't have idols. But, you know, I really want to structure my worldview around that. You know, I've got that one sin that I really like, you know, God, I'll come to you, but I don't know if I can put on that wedding robe of holiness. How about I just come and I'll stay in this sin for a while. I'll, I'll come to church. But my little caveat is, you know, when I, I go home, I'm going to, you know, slip off by myself. Maybe I'll indulge in a little pornography or something, you know, whatever it is. People, they, they have this little extra caveat where they say, yeah, I just desire something else. Adam and Eve, they had this blessed gift of sitting with God in the cool of the day and learning from him. Yet they wished to possess the knowledge of good and evil immediately. They wished they wished for this to the point that they were willing to accept something that would kill them. They're like, yes, the trade-off of this is instant gratification for death. I want the instant gratification, even if it brings me death. I want that. I desire it. That great gift that God laid out for me, yeah, I don't really want it. As irrational as this sounds, it is true. This is the story of humanity. Jesus, he was tested by the Roman government. Pontius Pilate sought to release him because he could find no guilt. Yet the crowds rejected the holy and righteous one, and they wished for a murderer. They desired the pleasure of an uncreative sin over the author of life. You know, somebody to go out and murder, that's easy. That doesn't take a lot of skill. You can go out and do that in an uncreative way. It can be gory and nasty. Like when John the Baptist's head is chopped off. They're there in a palace. Everything's beautiful. And here's a head on a table. You know, it's it's rotting. It's grotesque. It's disgusting. It's not creative. The people, they were there with the author of life. And they said, ah, give us the uncreative truth of, of death. Just give us the murderer over that. That'll be nice. We as people, we have been given a gift beyond imagination. We think. We reason. We can interact with creation around us like no other creature of God. And yet, so many do not want to even acknowledge they are creatures of God. They would rather dabble in their petty sins than acknowledge God's design for them, just as children in a sandbox will dedicate their full energy to matters that will be forgotten in just a few seconds. We have a worldview that is trying to usurp Christianity, and the church must wake up to that. I realize that we have a problem on saying no to things on the front end, but I sincerely believe situations where you've got people overreacting to like a a child doing a finger gun. These are things that we need to stand up to and say no to because you've got to realize the worldview underneath. These are people wanting to get to a utopia. And you see this throughout so many things in our world. You see it in Hollywood. You get people who get up and they they talk about all these virtues, about how we're gonna stop all of these violent and abusive things. They say, Well we're gonna we're gonna stop, you know, being people of rape, and yet they're all about death, and their, their whole culture is filled with, with rape. They're, they're people who get up and they'll talk about, you know, I wouldn't be here if, uh, if I didn't have that abortion, if I didn't kill my child. And really, they are the people from this story that says, I want to get where I want to get, and I'm going to do it on my own terms. I want that utopia, but I'm going to get there by being nasty and vulgar. I'm going to show up at the wedding feast the way I want to. And this whole gift that God gave me, I don't even care to acknowledge it. We as the church, we must realize that we are surrounded by spiritual warfare. Jesus is the author of life. He took on flesh to walk among us and love his children. And he hung on a cross forgiving those who would do him wrong. Moreover, he hung on the cross to give eternal life to the very people who hated him in that moment. Yet they could not be bothered to care. I often quote that verse out of um, the Gospel of Luke where he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But the end of that verse says, and they cast lots to divide his clothing. In that same verse, Jesus is giving them a gift. He is doing the work that will provide them eternal life. And yet they're sitting over there and saying, Jesus, I I can't be bothered to care about that. I'm more interested in your shoes. It's like, hey, Anthony, you think you'll fit in that belt? Maybe we could have his tunic. And the truth of it is, is they are much more interested in his clothing than they are the eternal gift that he's given. It. And it, it, by comparison, it's not even close, not even close. That word ethylon, which we find there, meaning they wish or desire, or in this case, ook, ethylon, meaning they, they didn't wish. They didn't want to go to this wedding feast. That's where we're at as a people. It's the story of the fall. It is the state of humanity that every one of its members, born as sons of Adam, daughters of Eve, that is how we are. As irrational as it is, we wish for things that we ought not wish for. It's so profound, yet so simple. We do not naturally desire to accept God's gift. We would much rather have our momentary pleasures than to be bothered with God's holiness. And however, while this is the story of the fall, it's not the end of the gospel. And I'm not just here to to have a, you know, negative, throwing a fit, deconstruct everything and have a um, just a tirade against stuff. Because what we do find is the end of that parable, the end of the, the gospel, what we find is that there is an empty tomb. There is forgiveness. There is hope. There is salvation. And there's even a great commission to return to God and do the great works that he has prepared for us. The gospel, it takes us to an empty tomb where death is defeated, where all of this worldview is defeated. It all comes to an end. This whole thing about people, they would rather cast lots, all of that gets defeated. The consequence, the necessary consequence of that fall is defeated. And we as Christians, we should have hope in that because as ridiculous as the stuff out in the world gets, we know that Jesus is not going to be defeated by it. I know some of you, if you follow the news at all lately, um in Hollywood, um Joaquin Phoenix, who played the Joker, um, in the movie Joker, he was up there giving his speech when he was accepting award, going about how immoral it is to drink cow's milk because it, it takes young cows away from their mothers and how that's terrible and immoral. And I actually thought he was playing that the act the character from the movie that he's being the Batman villain, the Joker, and he said that. But he's sitting up there doing that while also advocating for abortion and killing of, of one's own children. You know, in their worldview of utopia, you know, the calves, which, again, these Hollywood people, they, they think they're above farmers. They don't know how this stuff works. Um, we who live out in Tennessee generally have an idea how this stuff works. You know, you, you look at their disdain for... For what makes society work, you know, people who live out this way, and yet they're promoting things which are so vile and repugnant. Um, and we realize that this is the story of the fall. It defines us all. But even though they may have the big microphones, they may be on television, they may be people who control a lot of things, they are not going to be victorious in the end. Because in the end, that whole worldview is going to be found speechless when God comes and asks, why did you think you were going to get into this feast without accepting my invitation? I sent out my servants. I sent my slaves out saying, you, you can come, good or bad, come. All you got to do is accept the invitation. I'll put the robe on you. You don't have to have any money. You don't have to pay any charge at all. Just show up and I'll put the robes on you. I'll transform you. I will bring you to the place of holiness. But so many people, they cannot be bothered to care. Our Matthew text is really a beautiful text. It's the one that doesn't end with tragedy, but with mercy and justice. This parable draws to an end with the king being a man of both unfailing compassion and unwavering severity. For those that are worthy, for those that have surrendered their lives to his invitation, he will bring them in and he will give them a wonderful feast beyond anything they could have ever afforded. And for those that try to sneak their way in, they're going to be cast out into other darkness. For those that think they can get to somehow the, the wonderful feast, the utopia society, without going through the rules, the boundaries that God has given us about navigating creation, they're going to find themselves coming up short. And this is something where we must be reaching out to people. We must be looking to people on a personal, career, a personal level, a reason that we're, we're not better than any other man or woman out there. We're not. The one that was found without a wedding robe is not cast out because he was uninvited, but rather he is cast out because he tried to come into the party on his own terms. And the text is quite clear that the servants, they they are sent out to invite all who are willing to come, including those who are good and those who are bad. The only requirement was that you had to accept the king's invitations, which would have supplied them with a robe. But instead, that man, he thought he could pave his own way into the feast. And in doing so, he finds himself cast out into utter darkness. We do not have to be perfect when we accept Jesus' invitation. In fact, Jesus knows that none of us are perfect. This parable is both a merciful invitation and a powerful warning about how we should respond to the call of God. If we simply accept his invitation where we are, regardless of our circumstances, he's going to give us entrance into his feast. He's going to give us the rope. He will give us the transformation. Now, it's not easy, but we can also find that this is a stern warning. Because if we think we can find an alternative route into this feat, we have really made a big mistake. We have deceived ourselves. The gospel gives us great hope in the gift of salvation. We can be liberated from the traps of this world and we realize that we must accept Jesus' invitations on his term, not on ours. We must allow our hearts and our minds to be transformed. We must allow the Holy Spirit into our lives to work on our souls. We naturally want to stay in sin. That's what you find there in that parable. It's what you find in the Luke text. It's what you find in Acts. It's what you find in Genesis. It's what you find throughout Scripture. People naturally want to stay in their sin. We want to have exceptions to God's invitation and come to the party not wearing the wedding robe. But we must change our hearts and want the liberty that God has for us. And when we look at stories in the culture around us, whether it be Last week, we talked about the, the man that was on the airplane and his decision is, you know, I'm going to rock the seat of the woman in front of me because she reclined into my space. And her decision is, well, I'm going to video this and put it on the Internet. You know, this is that decision that says, well, I can't be bothered to take anything serious. I can't be bothered to be a mature adult. I think I'm just going to cast my lot. You know, I'm going to take the field. I'm not going to lock into anything mature or anything holy. I'm just going to show out like I'm a child. We must change our hearts and our minds. And we as Christians, we must look to bring revival in our world. And again, it's not by our power, but we need to be looking for it. We need to be looking to people. We need to be reaching hearts and minds. And we've got to start off by realizing this is spiritual warfare. Everything around us is spiritual warfare. There is a belief system that is trying to replace Christianity. It's not going to win. Um, We actually have a meme that kind of represents this. Um, there's a Spongebob meme, if you have been on the internet long, you'll know that there's a lot of Spongebob memes out there, and there's one that really is truly great, um, and I don't know if Anthony's got where he can bring that up for you, and it's it's a flat earth meme, and it's captioned, it says, when you've been roasting the flat earthers, and suddenly they throw a bag over your head, and take, and one of them grabs you and says, take him to the edge, <laughs> it's got Spongebob freaking out, um, the truth is, the earth isn't flat. But if you're in a debate with the flat earthers and they throw a bag over your head and say, "take him to the edge, you know, they may take you to the edge of a cliff and throw you off. They didn't throw you off the edge of the world like they may have thought they did, but they can do a lot of destruction. We as the church, we've been really bad at saying no to ridiculous stuff before it hits a critical moment where something bad is going to happen. We as as people, we haven't been good at saying no to things while we still are in an easy position to do that, where we can positively affirm the design that God has for his people, the truth, the realistic truth about God's creation and how that has fallen into sin. You know, we're always hesitant to do that until we're taken to, you know, court over it. To, you know, to give an illustration from Christian history, you know, in the early days, a lot of Christians were taken to a judge and they were basically told by the Roman judge to say, you can... Burn the incense or, you know, go to the amphitheater. You know, they basically look at him and say, bake the cake or go to the amphitheater. Your life is ruined. And a lot of people in that moment actually say, you know what, I'm a Christian. I'm going to stand with God. You'll get a few people who apostatize and say, well, I'll burn the incense. It'll be okay. Maybe I can negotiate my way out of this. Though Rome doesn't take kindly to that um, either. Um, The truth is, it's actually easy when you're there when you're everything's on the table to realize, no, this is real. Just like for some of the Roman soldiers that were there, when they saw Jesus on the cross, they said, You know what? That is the Son of God. But at the same time, so many times before it gets to that moment, before we get to that critical moment when we can say no to things, people don't. They take a passive mentality that says, I'm just gonna be easy about this. I'm you know, oh, it's cute. They're over there, they're just Calling the cops on an elementary school girl with Down syndrome because she made a finger gun. It's not that big of a deal. No, it is a big deal because that is a worldview that wants to take over everything in our world. That's a worldview that is going to crack down on all of us saying, you're not going to utopia the way we want to. We think we can get to Eden. We think we can get to utopia where there's no violence, where everyone is completely equal. We're all like little clean sheets of paper. We're completely and identical in every way. We have the same outcomes in life. These people believe they can get there. And it starts with little stuff like that. And we've got to say no to this stuff. And we've got to be evangelizing and loving these people and bringing them back to God's design. Just as we have been graced with forgiveness, we must also be a people of forgiveness. And We've got to pay attention to the spiritual warfare around us. So, Anthony, any final thoughts before we wrap this up?
1: Well, <clears throat> I would say, don't make light of God's invitation into His kingdom. Uh, don't ignore the invitation. If you do show up, show up with um, you know a serious attitude that take that uh, tries to approach the kingdom righteously. Because, as he made very clear, you know there are, are many who are called, but there are few who are chosen. So uh, respond to his kingdom to the best of your ability. All right. Well, let's close in prayer, if we may. Anthony, would you actually pray for us as we close? Yep. Gracious, heavenly Father, we pray that these words were pleasing in your sight. We pray, Lord, that. We would be able to respond well to the invitation to your kingdom we pray that we'll be able to take it seriously that we'll be able to show others the invitation that we received we pray lord that you'd bless us as we go out into the world and overcome it in the name of your son all this we ask in
0: your son's name amen Amen. Well, with that, thank you so much for joining us. God love you and have a blessed day. Remember to send us your thoughts, questions, and comments. And we'll see you again.